This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson and also in the background a Spectator Wine Lunch, uh, which you may pick up traces of. Though we don't have any wine in front of us at the moment. It's already quite noisy. They haven't started drinking yet. Actually, still... yeah, oh, no, we don't even have any coffee. You've got... I don't, is that not... Cold coffee. I don't mean it's even your coffee cup. No. <laughs> but to the agenda... It is the day after the police said they concluded their investigation into Partygate. In that investigation, there was only one fine to Boris Johnson, and ultimately it was a fine over an event with birthday cake. We're now expecting the publication of Sue Gray's report as early as next week. Fraser, where do you think the mood in the Tory party is? Do you think it's one of relief at the moment, or do you think there's some concerns that they're not quite out of the woods yet? It splits. I think those who wanted Boris Johnson gone are dismayed. We've had um, some of them, Charles Walker yesterday, for example, had to take back his call for Boris Johnson's resignation. So he was out there saying that he, he'd thought about it carefully and um, he now decided to that Boris should unresign. Here's what he had to say. No, I never wanted him to be down and out because I've always had huge personal affection for the Prime Minister. I just felt his position was unrecoverable and it seems that I was wrong. I was wrong. Fundamentally, the Prime Minister is going to continue in number 10 now. In fact, strangely, it could well be that the Leader of the Opposition finds himself now in a position where he will face calls for his resignation. So obviously, if you're in the Dominic Cummings get rid of the wonky shoppy trolley camp, this is bad news, because you were waiting for a charge or some escalation as a point to say, okay, he's really got to go now. That escalation has not arisen. In fact, the only person waiting to see if the police are going to charge him is Keir Starmer, the opposition leader. Now, Sue Gray's report will then come out, and so now we're seeing yet again the, the test sets. Um, is she going to, can she sink him? My own feeling is if she, if her report doesn't say anything that we don't already know or already suspect, it won't really move the dial of how angry the public are. I mean, what Boris Johnson did was unforgivable to, to legislate, to criminalise uh, those who would carry on as his people were carrying on is unforgivable, and that's not a word you use very lightly in politics. But people have factored that in, and they think that it's not quite enough for, to get rid of a prime minister. The loudest sound, of course, in the Conservative Party are the three quarters of Tory MPs who will no, neither go on the record supporting him or calling for his resignation. But when it comes to calling for his resignation, you've just got nine Tory MPs, about eight now that Charles Walker has taken his name again, and I think one peer, Danny Finkelstein, wants Boris to go. And that's it. So there isn't, I think he's pretty safe, really. There, uh, I remember back in January, us putting the magazine to bed, having to abandon the front cover, I think two or even three weeks in a row, because we were so sure that Boris Johnson stood a really big chance of, of being removed from power the next day or the day after that. So that's how close he came to actually walking the plank. But the ship has kept sailing away from the danger zone, and he's not walking the plank, he's back on deck steering the ship. James, it certainly feels as though MPs are backing more than they were, as Fraser points out, a few months ago. But do you think there's a disconnect between what the parliamentary party thinks and what the public thinks? Because speaking to MPs, there's definitely a sense, oh, it's only one fine. And some actually almost talking up almost as a win. But yet, perhaps the public have already made up their mind when it comes to Boris Johnson and Partygate. I think that point that Fraser made, you cannot underestimate the fact that people think, look, 
They passed all these rules and laws and they publicised them in the most dramatic way possible. And that placed a burden on them to obey them in the most narrow sense that there was, you know, the strictest, most draconian sense. And instead, it appears that life carried on much more as normal in Downing Street than it did in the rest of the country. I mean, there is, there is always going to be public anger about that. Enough people have memories or things that happen to them that they, they feel upset about and the like. I do, though, think that in terms of the parliamentary party, as you say, Katie, he is safer now because I think there is a, a broad expectation that on that Sue Gray's report will be more critical of the whole number 10 cabinet office machine rather than of Boris Johnson personally. And because she is a former head of propriety and ethics in the cabinet office, she feels very strongly about the, you know, the ways in which the system didn't work. And then I think also Tory MPs were dreading the publication of the Grey Report because Boris Johnson committed to a House of Commons debate on it, in which I think they were expecting Keir Starmer to bash him round the head repeatedly, put them all in a very difficult position. That is much harder for Keir Starmer right now while he waits for the outcome of this investigation in, into beer and curry. The, the, the big question is, Boris Johnson benefited from the public being willing to kind of to, to kind of look past stuff yeah, and accept his own terms of, you know, he gets the big calls right. The question is whether he has lost that goodwill now and can he regain it? And he's going to have to try and regain it in very difficult circumstances because, you know, the current economic environment of inflation as high as it is, you know, everyone is feeling poorer all the time and somehow Boris Johnson's got to find a way to kind of get the public to go back to viewing him how they did uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Fraser, if Boris Johnson gets his way and the Seagrave report does not blow things up and actually Partygate becomes very much a back burner if issue that doesn't really come up too much, there does mean MPs are going to pay more and more attention to cost of living. And also when bad results happen to the Tories, lots will blame it on the fact the government is not doing enough on cost of living and so forth. What do you make of the current internal government argument about a windfall tax? In one corner, you have the Treasury who seem to be considering it. Then the other, you have some of Boris Johnson's new advisers, David Kenzini, Andrew Griffith, who is saying it's a very unconservative thing to do and would send the wrong message. This is a fascinating split, actually. Yet again, we have Rishi Sunak apparently pushing for the tax rise. In the same way he pushed for the national insurance increase, he is the one who is now raising the prospect of a windfall tax, something which, in my view, is is deeply unconservative, because the principle at stake here is that if you're making lots of money, the government will come along and confiscate it from you. And so we're not talking about a normal tax system. We're talking about this sort of jeopardy that anybody who is doing something that the government doesn't like is liable to have their, their cash nicked. Now, you can look back and say, oh, Margaret Thatcher did this, etc. But this goes against what Rishi Sunak himself has said that he liked. So I think this is rather damaging for the Chancellor's brand. He is a principled low-tax Tory, or is supposed to be. And of all people, he is supposed to be the one who realises that if you go around threatening windfall taxes, this will discourage investment in Britain because companies will not uh, be less likely to invest in a country where the tax system is unpredictable. Now, of course, the other thing is how much this would raise between 1 billion and 3 billion. That's absolutely tiny amounts of money. You don't need to go around coming up with a. Now, of course, the, the, politically, it's popular. I mean, we all know that taxing the rich it always pulls well. Taxing big companies pulls well. Nobody likes energy companies. Taxing them will always pull well. But is it the right thing to do politically? I completely don't think that it is. I'm also not quite sure why Rishi Sunak thinks you can morally pressurise companies to, to do things. 
Perhaps he's more optimistic than I am about whether companies are moral entities or not. I don't really think that they are. I think they just go, they go along, they, they will respond to market pressures. What the government can do is try to set up a system where there's competition. You can't really expect businessmen to do the, um, the right thing by the taxpayer. And the th- my third big reason is that right now, when the recession's coming along, of course companies are going to be keeping hold of their money. Your average punter will not be doing a spending splurge right now because they'll be thinking, well, what happens if there's a recession? I'm going to need this money that I've saved. The same is true for companies, and that's why they're not spending in the way that Rishi Sunak would like them to spend. And I just think it's odd how the, the, sort of the argument for conservative economics seems to be coming more from number 10 than from Rishi Sunak's treasury. Because I had previously, I would have put down Rishi Sunak as a chancellor who was not a sort of opportunist, but somebody who was driven by principles, principles that are becoming harder to discern in this particular debate. James, where are backbench MPs on this just finally? Because there have been some pushing for a windfall tax, but is that a, a majority position or is it pretty spread out? So I think Scottish Tory MPs don't like it because of the oil and gas sector. In, 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 is based in Scotland largely. I mean, most Tory MPs think, look, Labour have made absolute political hay with this windfall tax, which doesn't actually raise that much money. I mean, the Labour proposal would raise between £1.2 and £2 billion. Pounds, but Labour somehow suggested that this windfall tax would solve all the pressure that energy bills are creating on people's household budgets. It's a remarkably effective political sleight of hand by Labour. I think most Tory MPs want action on energy bills. And I mean, most of them on the trade-off would would take a windfall tax if that's what enabled it to happen. And also it is worth remembering that, you know, anyone who was around in 2010, you know, George Osborne did do a windfall tax on um, North Sea oil and gas to keep um, fuel duty down. And so, you know, but there are there are recent examples of this. I think, the, I think the bigger question now is, you know, what is the government going to do on the cost of living? And can the government wait until the autumn to do more? Or are you going to have to do more before then? Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening.